This is the Intentional Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Demo, and today I have the Matthews Brothers on hand. Ironically enough, we've been having a pretty awesome conversation. We figured it was about time to bring uh, everybody in for this one. And the topic that we put down on the text thread was overnight success. Uh, so for those that don't know, all three of us came from the same town. Uh, we've had very different experiences um, after that. But I wanted to share some of their stories because they're both at really cool inflection points inside of their businesses. And if you were just coming in and didn't know either one of them, you'd be like, oh, wow, they're really successful. But I know for a fact that it's been a decade plus of work, just like it's been for me. So Eric and Evan, uh, welcome to the podcast, my guys. Great. Thanks, Mike. Awesome being here, buddy. So we started... (laughs) I'm just thinking back to all the stuff we were just talking about, but growing up in Danbury, um, interesting. Um, and we had some very, very different experiences, but they both had their challenges. So I suppose I'll leave it up to you two to give a little bit of a background about what your beginnings looked like before we ever met on a football field in high school. Yeah, Evan, you want to take it, Mr. Storyteller? <laughs> yeah, take, oh, we're, our beginnings, I mean, yeah, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, we can go all our, – our, our life, our lives have had so many twists and turns all the way back to just birth. So, I mean, I, I don't know if we, we need to go that far back, but, you know, it's just at least on the high school level, we bounced around a lot. We were at Danbury High School, and then we went to a high school in Florida for a little bit, and then we came back to Danbury High School, and then we went to California in the Palm Springs area for a senior year. So high school, all of our, our life was just tumultuous since the start. But high school was no different. We were just constantly in our own personal blender of drama and all kinds of things going on behind the scenes. And you know, when you don't have any kind of roots or real foothold in your own life. Uh, it takes a lot of years to realize you didn't, you never had that in the first place. And a lot of people do. And that puts Eric and I on our own paths and our own journeys to like do the work, figure it out and really become the people that we've always needed in our lives. We had to become that. And I know Eric, if you want to jump in there and, and add to that, but that's just a very broad opening. We should mention that Evan, you, you work in, was it Hollywood? I I work in the entertainment industry. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, but there's a lot of parts of Hollywood. There's like the margins and then there's like the mainstream portion of it. So I'm somewhere in between as my career is, is, you know, moving forward. So it's been a long, it's been a long road. I've, I've worked in so many different parts of Hollywood. I've worked on like the biggest shows, Eric and I have been on like an Academy Award winning documentary. I've been on a bunch of Emmy Award winning shows. Uh, I've worked on live live event award shows, indie films, feature films, you name it. I just wanted to know what it was like to have all of these positions. I just wanted to accumulate all that experience. But what I really should have done is like knew, know exactly what I want to do and go only for that one thing. That's the difference and between. How dare you not know that 
<laughs> beginning. Well, shoot, I didn't even know who my dad was. How am I supposed to know like what <laughs> what, what career to be on, so or how to go about it? You need when you don't have your most basic mentor and a father. If you don't have the, like the basic requirement, you're going to be trying. It's going to be a trial and error life starting from the beginning, and that's how, how it's been for me and Eric's. Like, it's like if we don't figure it out no one's coming to the rescue no one's going to do this for us my our mother is doing the did the best as she could for the cards that were dealt for her but still at the end of the day eric and i were left in a situation where we have to take care of ourselves and look out for ourselves and we were, were so thankful we had each other i don't know what we would have done if we were not twins we weren't twins and we had each other could totally get each other and lean on each other know what we're going through in any moment we've had so many so many moments in our lives where Eric's owed me a lot of money and then I, I owe him a lot of money. And we never really like kept, kept score, but we were like, Oh, I know I owe you like X amount. And they were just like, it'll all work out. Yeah. I mean, that was all when we were younger too. And we're just yeah, starting. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like when we go, when we go back, it's like our, our mother, she was married to another man who's working as a nurse at a hospital. And the guy who was chief of surgery of the hospital um, the two of them had an affair. She got pregnant. She went, she went in to get an abortion. And then back in the eighties, they still had to show you an ultrasound and said, Oh, you're having twins. And she said, I can't take two lives. And she left and we're here. So like that already is like profound to just survive that. She made that great, great decision in that, in that horrible moment. And she had no support. And that's why most women actually go through with it. But she had no support, but, but working in the medical industry and in healthcare, she, she knew that it's a life. Um, so, I mean, from the very beginning, we always felt like the hand of God was over us and protecting us. Um, but then she got back with her ex and we had this horribly evil stepfather, but this kind of goes to what we we're talking about earlier, Mike, before you were rolling on this. I mean, we were in the same honors and AP classes together at Danbury high school. Right? We played football together and, like, and, you know, we're in these, these honors and AP classes and see all these really smart kids doing really well, coming from good families. And we're just like, wow, Mike must have it so easy. It must be really good over there. And then you're probably on your end looking around like, oh, everyone has it so good and so easy while you're, you've got a messed up household. Me and Evan, we're going home and we're, you know, we're getting beaten and we're being called, you know, you know, stupid and idiot and all and things much worse than that. You know, I get slapped in the head because I, I was dyslexic and had a hard time reading and I'd be made fun of by my stepfather and my, my mother would just kind of, you know, she'd sit there and watch, um, you know, so you, so school was like the escape from going home. And then as soon as we get home, like we'd rather play sports because one sports is fun, but then we don't have to go home. You know, if we did go home, like I memorized every single kids, you probably did the same. Every friend, I had all their numbers memorized. I get home, call one after another. Boom, 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 boom. Come to my house, we're playing basketball. Come to my house, we're playing baseball. Come to my house, playing Magic the Gathering. We're, we're going to play Super Nintendo or something. Like, whatever. And I would just go off and just, it was kind of like the early stages of like Eric networking, right? Yeah. And Evan's like getting ready to play. And I was always the one calling. Um, but it was to kind of escape like this, this household that was really, really tough to, to grow up in um, to the point where it was, it's, it was so bad that Evan and I have to laugh at it because it's like if when you go down memory lane, you're like, 
oh man, it was so bad. And that's why I messed up. I'm like, no, you know, it's like our stepdad was, that dude was nuts. He was, he would scream relax at everyone. But like we would say, like, I don't think he <laughs> understands the meaning of the word relax because he's just screaming at us. Um, but I think one of the most damaging things besides like the physical mental abuse was he would, he, what he would do is every day he would come in and say, I hate my job. I hate work. I hate my job. I hate work. What's your worth? It's like, I'm worth all this money. You don't make any money. You're not worth anything. So it affects us with work ethic and money, right? Because now you have someone that's supposed to be a father figure. This guy was, this guy was a beta, like a total beta. He was like, he would beat my mom. We'd have to call the cops. He would, he would take off all of his clothes and curl up into a little ball and pee on himself. I'm like, this is what a man's supposed to be. And so Evan and I were like, we don't want to be anything like this guy, like nothing like this guy. And then it wasn't until later in life that we found out, oh, this man's not your father. Some famous surgeon who's been saving the vision of children, trained 3,000 doctors, was a professor at this university teaching, teaching these surgeries and, and crafting doctors for the new world. That's your father. And we're like, what? So we, there's a part of it. Yeah. And part of it's like, thank God that man's blood doesn't go in our veins, that a great man's blood goes through our veins. Right. I'm like, no wonder we were able to kind of survive all this, be mentally tough about it, be in honors and AP classes with Mike Demo and, uh, and um, somehow survive and still get A's on everything. Right. Like it's cr it's kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, some there are a couple of things that we hadn't talked about. It's very interesting. Um, and I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but like with my split custody whole situation, like I had two different bus stops. So Monday through Wednesday was downtown Danbury. And then Wednesday I'd go back to my, my dad's apartment, pack up stuff that I needed, ride my bike to my mom's house and then take that bus the rest of the time. Like, so when you talk about not having that foothold or like that, like cementing in one place, like that definitely shifts, like just your foundation and like that inner, I don't know if I call it inner confidence or what the word might be, but like I had that myself. Um, and one of the other things was, and I think that everybody should hear this, is she did the best that she could. Cause I didn't talk to my mom for a decade. Like right about the time I went to Iraq, we had a breaking up where I basically told her, look, when I have kids, good luck knowing about it. Cause I'm never going to talk to you again. Real good relationship. I think people call that. And it took a while for me to get to a place where I could have that understanding and psychedelics may have helped with that. Um, that and coaching, they go together. But just to be able to get to the point where it's like, you know what? She was at a point where she did the best she could. And like my mom wasn't even supposed to be able to get pregnant. So I was a big surprise too. <laughs> like, so it's really cool that we have all that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. are able to move forward to do stuff. And, you know, Evan, to your point about not knowing like I thought I was going to be a history teacher until I was in classes. And it's like, I'd probably give these kids an F and a teacher would probably say, why'd you fail my kid? It's like, I'm not the one that failed your kid. And then 
it'd be the quickest career ever. <laughs> I've toned down a little bit on that. Obviously. <laughs> you, mean, you mean parents in public school don't take personal responsibility? <laughs> Sometimes. Like, I mean, I have things with some of the things that are taught in schools, like we'll cover that some other time. Yeah. But like, they're not supposed to be the people that are mentoring our progeny. Like they're supposed to be there to help teach them the things that they need. They're supplemental. We're yeah. the primary. We're the primary. Absolutely. I mean, so your so your audience knows I have five kids. Evan has two, you know, and Mike, you've got your two. Yeah. Got my two. Um, yeah. So we didn't really talk about your whole situation there, Eric. Um, like I know it, your brother oh, knows yeah. it, but so what are you doing in that fancy chair over there? Oh my goodness. So, <clears throat> well, my, so I own a firm called EDM capital. It's a wealth management firm. You know that. So, so it's all, it's all financial planning as, as the baseline and then uh, portfolio management to support the plan. Um, and then a lot of guidance and advice around taxes, estate planning, asset protection, and the, and the dreaded insurance conversation, <laughs> which is absolutely necessary um, because it, of course, neither of us are giving financial advice. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm all, you know, my background's in finance. I've got all the licenses, credentials, you know, degrees, you name it. I've got a bunch of things to support all of that, but yeah, um, work with a lot of really great families, but you know, my my client base, I have a lot of kind of right of center, like libertarian, right of center client base. I've you know, I've uh, some liberal clients, but mostly conservative clients. But that's because my prior career was in Hollywood. Um, so after I graduated college with my degree in business finance, I went to Hollywood because I thought finance was going to be really boring. And my first job was working with Al Gore on an inconvenient truth. That was my first gig. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. They just said, hey, fancy finance guy, why don't you uh, pick up some trash on a set of some, some documentary film? We don't have a, a working title yet. So I'm like, sure, whatever, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And I think the second day working on that film, um, I had to work like a 22-hour shift. And it was a flat rate of $100 an hour, $100 a day, a day. A day. Yeah. Um, so I think it came out to just over $4.20 an hour or something like that. Still uh, so, more than I made in Iraq. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but uh, but that was, that was kind of crazy. But I parlayed that into a bunch of other jobs and then eventually got a job working for the actor Gary Sinise. So I was working on the TV show CSI New York. I was there for over 150 episodes and then I was helping – with his Lieutenant Dan band, we helped produce and coordinate over 200 concerts with the USO and other ve veterans, um, uh, uh, nonprofits. And then my big kind of like claim to fame during that period of time was we started an underground organization in 2005 called the Friends of Abe. So Abraham Lincoln being the first Republican president, freed the slaves, you know, you know, an incredible man. And, um, so we started with maybe a dozen of us. And by the time I left in 2011, end of 2011, we had about 1,800 members. And um, one of the big reasons of why I left was I actually got ripped off by a financial advisor. This guy was working for one of these big institutions. Um, it's why I'm so hypercritical, and you know this about me, of insurance. Because this guy came from an insurance platform, was a broker, and then put us in a bunch of illiquid investments. 
And basically, after working six years with, with two vacations um, and running this organization, there was an E True Hollywood story done on us. I worked all, all of those years, met my wife because she was an actress in Hollywood. And um, uh, ba he basically ripped us off and we lost about 80% of everything we had. Now, the good the couple good things is we, we learned great lessons uh, from that. Um, but also he's been permanently banned forever from uh, the securities industry. So if you, if you look nice. him up, I, we actually celebrated the day that he was permanently banned because um, he was just a horrible person. Um, so, uh, but it's I got like his really, broker check, his broker check birthday. Yeah. So we look at that as like permanent ban. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, but for us, like, well, for me, I got, because I had the degree in finance, like the family looked at me and said, Hey, Eric, is this okay? We put ourselves in these, these things. I said, I think it's okay, but you don't learn about personal finance in finance school. It's all about, Hey, how can you learn about corporate finance and balance sheets and profit margins? And, you know, basically how do we chain you to a cubicle for life doing finance? It wasn't, Hey, how do we free you financially for the rest of your life? So I just, I got angry. I got upset. I got curious. Then I became obsessed and I said, I have to make a change. And I had talked to people that were brokers, hedge fund managers, bankers. Um, and then when I found the private, the independent space, for wealth management, like truly independent registered investment advisors, the independent space. I figured this is the way that I could protect myself, my family and my friends. So I made that career shift. And that's why the majority of my client base, like like 80, 90 percent of my clients all work in the entertainment industry. So they skew right. But that's that's been my journey kind of in a quick little five minute snapshot. Sweet. And we were talking before that's a interesting industry to be in right now um so i guess we'll start with the positive side of the house uh evan I, what was it last year you had your was it was that your first feature um the one that won the awards like i remember giving you high fives virtually about it but how did oh, that, come that about? was that was oh that that was like that was a short film for uh, it's it's a funny story because it leads it actually leads to my feature uh, I, I was working for uh, a film fellowship. So I, I was one of the fellows. I got into this program, this directing program, and, and we're going to make this short film. We're going to you know, develop it with a team and mentors and everything over a year and then shoot it and cut it and do all that and finish it. So we did that. That was called the Telios Act. That ended up being a great success. It was just getting into festivals everywhere. It was just racking up awards left and right. And then the pandemic hit and the festivals got shut down. And that was the end of it. And you only have like a two year run typically with film festivals. That's they have a limitation, like they want fresh content. So that ate up that whole festival thing, which is probably the best thing that could have possibly happened because you can totally get sucked into festival world and just do that and completely delay your actual career. So that was like, you know, a blessing in disguise. This is everything that needed to happen for me in my life to turn things around. But, you know, cut to a few years later, um, I was trying to get finishing funds for that film from another fellowship, uh, but they could, they couldn't get permission internally to provide finishing funds for another movie, even though it was like on message. They're like, Oh, this is something we would totally make here, but we'd want to oversee the whole process, not just the end. It's like, okay, I get it. But they, they, that got the door open. They kept the relationship going. I ended up becoming a, a fellow in their programs. They're directing, writing, editing, and cinematography. So I was just, 
playing ball with them because they were a class act. I really like, they're called the Moving Picture Institute. So, uh, and we call them MPI for short. So they have an original films division. And uh, I recently went to a networking event that they were putting on. I'm like, I'm just going to go. I'm just saying yes to everything. I'm at a point in my life, I'm just saying yes. I don't know where it's going to take me. I'll learn something or it'll turn into something. So you know, this networking event, reconnect with the SVP over there. Her name's Lana Link. Lana and I go out to lunch. I tell her my life story, which we, we touched on a little bit here over like 90 minutes and she's crying and I'm crying too because we're like you know, both sharing similar stories and neither of us have gone so deep in like just casual conversation or it tends to be a typical Hollywood meetup. We actually talked about something meaningful and next thing you know, she calls me two days later. She's like, I can't stop thinking about our lunch and the conversation we have. I have this script for this movie. Uh, we've already been hearing pitches from all of these directors, but your life actually fits all the dramatic emotional beats in the story. All the twists and turns are everything that you and your brother experienced. So if you read it and you connect to it, can you pitch it in a couple of days? So this was like breakneck speed, <laughs> like reading the script, read it again, do all my notes, do a bunch of research, put together a pitch deck, rehearse a little bit in front of the mirror. And then it's like, then I'm like in a live call like this, uh, given a pitch, got called back for a second pitch, pitch it again, get called back later that day for a few more questions. They offer me the job. I was an 11th hour ad <laughs> to come out of nowhere, point to the fences. And they're like, yeah, that's our guy. And next so thing you on know, the call, they gave you the job. Yeah. So Damn. that's, that's how nasty your boy is. At pitching, doing the work. <laughs> no, but you have to, you really, I mean, okay, just in general, when you're going to go pitch something, it has to come across in a way that's actually genuine, that no one else can do this but you. No one else will be more obsessed and more passionate about this project than me. And it's true. I couldn't imagine. It's like someone else is more passionate about They deserve to go make this movie then. Because I'm so fired up and lit over this project. I am so deeply and emotionally connected to it. I'm the perfect shepherd for this. I will be able to spark a fire under anybody in any department to get people to connect and want to be a part of this. Because I know where we're going. I'm like, guys, follow me. I know the way. I've already, I already walked through hell with this story. And I know how to get out of it. Just stick with me. Right? All you have to do is keep marching. But I know the way. So... You know, there's a lot of that. And then there's like all, you know, the, the theory and what you're pitching and everything. Anyway, that that one short film that we were high fiving over a few years mm -hmm. ago completely led right into this opportunity. And this goes back to like anything, especially guys in your field, all the seeds you have to plant like over time, they're, they're, they're going to produce fruit. It takes time, though. It takes time. It takes actual nurturing them and watering them and cultivating and then finally cultivating. So that's what this this. That's what this ended up being before I used to be like in my own head. Oh, my work will just speak for itself and people will come to me. And what a messed up mindset. What a bad framework. Talk about being totally like ego driven. Like there's so much competition out there. There's so many people hustling. It's like I, I had to like wake up. I had to really snap out of it. And, you know, th at, when the festivals got shut down and COVID kicked off, all I saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, this is a great opportunity to completely overhaul my life. Evan's due for a makeover. <laughs> Here we go. And he came out with a mustache. Came out with a mustache at 35 pounds lighter. Yeah, <laughs> not so bad. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
it's funny how they all intertwine. And I titled this the overnight success because when, when did that path start for you? So I know Eric was doing CSI. You mentioned if you, want, if you really, I mean, if you really want to back it up, it, go, it goes all the way back to my internship days when I was at UC Riverside, which is about a 90 minute drive into Los Angeles. And I was at the Sony lot. I worked for a little, I was interning a little company called uh, Phoenix Pictures. Phoenix Pictures, uh, the president is legendary producer Mike Metavoy. If like, you look him up, his credits are bananas. He's got like eight best picture the Oscar, Oscar statues like in his office. Um, you know, anything from like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, and working on Rocky and Terminator and all these movies and franchises all the way up to like Black Swan and The Wrestler. And, and he's still making movies this day. He's just he's just a total rainmaker a kingmaker, all the things like he's the guy he started off at William Morris as an agent and like discovered like Steven Spielberg and like a whole bunch of famous directors. Like that was his thing. So I, I got to learn from him. That was 17 years ago. I remember the email I sent him on my last day telling him I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to do all this. And I, I saved, it. I still have it. So when I make this movie, I'm going to send it, I'm going to hit reply because I bet he still has the same email address. I'm like, Hey, check it out. Solid. I sent you these emails I'm, <laughs> all these, you know, 17 years ago, here I am made it happen. Uh, but yeah, 17 year, like true journeyman, true career, having multiple mentors, be going, going through different types of apprenticeship, which is to a totally lost art. I mean, very few people actually go through the apprentice program in Hollywood. It's, it's more like, you know, unfortunately, whatever, like the current trend is. Yeah. Go Let ahead, Eric. What are you just saying? point out when you're, you know, the whole, the whole Sony lot experience, like one of, one of my really good buddies, um, worked in the editing department, um, on the Sony lot and with all the interns that were there, they'd have about 20 interns. Um, and the problem was they, they called it the monkey pit because it was all these kids of parents that work in the entertainment industry, all executives, you know, producers, you name it, but they refused to work. They refused to work. So they would have the monkey pit. They would have 18 spots of just for nepotism. And then they would have two spots for, for the kids that would actually work. Evan was one of them. I just have to point that out because you have the Hollywood nepotism, you know, people getting into USC that may or may not have played water polo kind of thing, right? You have like these scandals that happen. You take Aunt Becky's name out your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, Mike. <laughs> but, but just to point out, like it's, the, when we talk about like, you know, there's, there's no privilege. Like people are like, oh, this is privilege. No, no. The really privileged people only want more privilege for themselves. And it tends to be one group of people from one particular political party, right? Everyone else, it's like, it, you got to fend for yourselves. And, you know, for, for Evan to, to do the, to go on the Sony lot and to work for Phoenix Pictures and have to work really hard. And then both of us, like we had to keep parlaying our roles. I mean, I was on I was on that on that uh, on the global warming set or inconvenient truth. Like I was the I was the only guy like not stoned every day that was a set PA. And then they had me go be the, the food taste tester for for Al Gore. Like I get his food every day. He was like, excuse me, how's that taste? That tastes OK. You OK, you could leave. Right. And I would do that each day. And I'm like, why am I tasting his food all the time? 
They're like, oh, he's just worried that someone's trying to poison him. I'm like, there's stoners everywhere. They can't taste his food. They're hungry. They're dying to eat. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the only one straight laced showing up. Now that's not a commentary against stoners because I like, you know, I, I love all people, but it's just kind of like funny things that happen that they're willing to just sacrifice people, sacrifice people, all this sacrifice, right? But for us, we're also willing to step into that because of the opportunity of of being freer. But also, it's important. It's an important distinction of to not lose your morals over it, you know. And that's that's kind of something where again, it's like the hand of God comes back in just hovering over us. It's like, I don't know what's going on. We've, we had moments where we fell away from our faith for a long time and have come roaring back, but, but we always felt like that hand of God existed. And, you know, Evan go, I go work for Gary Sinise, who's a great man. Evan goes to work for Mark Burnett, a great man. Gary Sinise is a great Catholic Christian man. Mark Burnett is a great Christian man. His wife, Roma, is a great Catholic woman. Like you, you start to see this stuff. You're like, it's like, Lord, what did, what happened here? Like this, there's, there's miracles going on now. Now we still had to walk through the threshold. We still had to do the work. Like there's Mm -hmm. no escaping that. And that's, that's the hardest part is it's actually taking action and doing the work. And that's, that's kind of a privilege right there. I'll say, because when you embrace the work and you love it, like you feel privileged to do it. Like I'm, I'm busting my butt on this movie right now. I'm working all day and all night. And I'm just like, I love it. This is exactly what I wanted to do. This, I want it to be the best at this job. I want to impress everyone. I want everyone to to truly know they made the right decision, but also it's a privilege to work. on. I'm like, so thankful. Even back in the Sony, the Sony lot days, you know, I, because I had to drive so far and beat the traffic, I was always the first one there and I was always the last one to leave because I would wait for rush hour. So I was there with all the executives and the executive assistants. I'd be the only intern. Who's here? Everyone else is gone. Evan's always here. Evan's always here. Evan, let's get you out of that basement. You don't need to make copies and run coffee and do coverage and data entry. Let's put you on the president's desk. You're going to help out the first assistant to the president. And that, that's where all of a sudden now you're answering the phone calls. You're getting screamed at by agents, which is just hilarious. It's like such – it was like totally out of entourage, just getting yelled at. I feel like someone would totally throw a stapler at me if they could, even though I was just like just a naive intern <laughs> asking an agent how he spelled his name. Like, are you kidding me? Put me on the phone with your boss. <laughs> Oh, it's just, I love it. I look back. I love it. I'm like, uh, at the end of the day, you can't possibly say anything worse than my own father said to me. So I'm going to be fine (laughs) or stepfather, I should say. Um, So, yeah, so that helps. That helps. That's, you know, Ernest Hemingway said that the, all you need for a great creative career is a shitty childhood. (laughs) So, you know, not, not so bad. (laughs) Well, and it's almost, I mean, there's so many platitudes and analogies you could use for that. It's like a forge or like everyone always talks about that. But like, I remembered being envious of kids that had more when I was younger. Like they had two parents that loved each other and like were successful. And like, I just wanted like, there was everything in my life was negotiable you know, because they, they just wanted to make sure that I made it through whatever my process would be. You know, some of you guys, like, there's just so many jacked up things. Great people involved 
thankfully for me, my step parents were just fantastic. Um, like one's passed on, but like when my stepmom call her Red, and because she's like six foot tall and redheaded, and yeah, she used to post me up playing basketball when I was a teenager, <laughs> so I had to give her a nickname, Big Red, maybe. But you know, it does. It forges you to adversity. Like when I went through boot camp, you know, I didn't. I was never a intern on a lot, but I went through boot camp, and these drill instructors that they're not like sweet people to you. Like it's not cuddle fest when you don't feel good. It's a couple explicatives, a couple disparaging remarks, and then go back in the sand pit. And a lot of people would struggle with that. But it's like, I dealt with that my entire life. It's fine. Like random punishment for absolutely no reason. Homie. Yeah. I'm not going to quit. That's life. I'm not going to quit. Yeah. So it's interesting when you reflect on it, like how those things actually empower you to the level of greatness. Like you're talking about going back to the Sony set. So we're the same age, obviously. So is that like 05, 06 timeframe? Yeah. So it was like Spider-Man 2 was being filmed and you get to like go go on the lot and go check it out. You're like, oh, wow, this is so wild, especially coming from Connecticut. Because that was like, you know, and I never thought in a million years I would get into the entertainment industry. I wanted to. Even when we moved to uh, California, we're at Riverside. I'm like, do they even have a film program here? Is it I'm still I'm still too far away. But I, I somehow I kept moving in that direction. You know, they start to start to manifest it as long as you go after it keep thinking you can do it because you get told every you get told every reason why you can't do something people will take the opportunity to tell you oh you're too old or this now if you don't make your first feature film by 27 years old it's never going to happen or or there's all these limit all this limited beliefs that they have on themselves they're trying to like put that on you and if you're like dumb enough to fall for it and adopt it yourself, then you're just going to be where they are. And then they'll have company and you'll be miserable with them. Or you have to be a little bit delusional. You have to be a little bit like, I don't, I'm not willing to believe that. I, uh, my life is in my own hands. And as long as I work incredibly hard at something, I will get results. And if I don't, I'll learn until I get the, re- the desired result. And perseverance. Yep. Yeah. And you have to know what the, you have to submit to the cost. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. You know, it, it's tough because you know there there some people are truly delusional and they're not aware of the, either their talent or their lack of talent. Right? There are people that are very talented don't realize it. People that have no talent don't realize it. <laughs> right? It, it does cut both. <laughs> you know, Mike. <laughs> Dude, my mentor told me this. Um, it's like two years ago. He's like, dude, there's people way dumber than you that are making so much more money than you that would make you sick. It's not about how smart you are. It's about doing the right work. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. It was like, it, it's oh, true. Damn. Okay. And what's, it, what's it gonna cost? And the thing is, the more you know, if you if you do go the moral route and you want to keep your soul, um, the, the path might be longer and you may have to submit to that. But you also need to be able to assimilate all the information, all the available information and make a, a solid judgment call. Like, is this going to happen? Is it possible? Right. 
And it only becomes more possible if you if you can actually network, right? Because it's like, if you just know all the people from high school, you're not going anywhere. If you only just know the people in your town, you're not, if you know the richest people in town, okay, now you have a better chance. You know the richest people in your state, sure. Do you know the governor? Do you associate with them? Have you are you able to travel? Are you able to go to other states and and hobnob with top brass over there too? Like you, you have to be able to maintain and keep a network warm. That's why when you think of like the, the Hollywood clientele that I it went from, you know, working on sets and concerts and this underground conservative group in Hollywood to now I professionally manage money for these people. Like their life savings, the money that they made on these major films and series and what have you. Um, I, I work with these folks and there had to be a big shift. There had to be, oh, you know, there was a debt that had to be paid, which was in the form of education, knowledge, application of that, lots of failure, growing in wisdom, and then applying that, right? Because now I had to go on my own adventure. I had to go through multiple layers of hell to come back just to help some people. That's why when some people just come to kick the tires of my firm, oh, I found EDM Capital on Public Square, or I found you this way. Okay, great. People that don't appreciate what you do, Mike, or what Evan does, or what I do, it's like, we don't we don't have time for that arrogance, right? We don't have time for it because it's like, you can, I'm on, I show up on Instagram every single day. Evan shows up every single day, every day. We don't miss, we show up every single day. Oh, where I can't find my advisor anywhere. You can find me. I'm showing up. I'm like, I'm at the front of the line leading. I'm, I'm, I'm raising my sword and charging into battle. I'm not afraid. Now that everyone else is playing scared, they're hiding. They're not doing it. It's like, no, we, I've been through so much. We've all been through so much. That's why you're out here with a podcast. Because you've, you've been literal war and then war in business, right? As a civilian, I mean, that's why I still... I still give back on the on the on the veteran side, and I have my veterans' causes. It's like I have my Christian causes and my veterans' causes. Like that's it. There's like certain things I just I'm a part of. But as a civilian, I traveled all over this country. I went to all these different bases. I've seen all the messed up guys coming back from war. I, you you and I we've talked about it. We, I've talked to our friends like with the failed uh, failed pullout of Afghanistan with Biden. And all of a sudden, all of our friends are on suicide watch again. I mean. When it happened in Iraq yeah. 12 years ago. Uh, yeah. I've I've tried to explain that to people, even in my family, where they they're like, oh well, it's good that we're doing this and that. It's like, no. Like not in like hindsight, should we have gone to a lot of these places? No. Right. Should we have done these certain things? But like there was a a blood and treasure cost. That we essentially threw away. Not not yeah. going too far down that tangent, but like that, like that's one of the reasons I work with veterans. And one of the notes we'd had in our text thread was talking about like your morals, your values, and how that plays into your business side of the house. And like for me, just there's people I want to work with. There's people I don't want to work with. Um, I need to do more of this Instagram everyday thing. Um, most of my work's in the DMs, I guess. But like, I get people referred to me every day, pretty much. And it's simply because 
I care about my tribe, my community being empowered and growing like that. What you just talked about, like you think the vets have to be on suicide watch and all those things. Like my whole thing is we need to show all the like, just kick ass things that we're doing outside of that. Like the listed businesses like Black Rifle, like all these different things that our community's doing. Like that's why I was at UConn presenting at the School of Business a couple of weeks ago on acquisition-based entrepreneurship because we're at an inflection point. Eric, you'll know this pretty specifically where half of business owners are 60 or older and they're going to time out. Like father time is undefeated on that regard. But if we lose those local businesses, all those assets just go up to the companies that you actually invest in and they don't care about your kid's soccer team. They don't care about those things. Like it's not local. It's not our community. And I think while all three of us have really, one of the reasons we still chat is like, we care about those things, the community progeny, the values of a good society. Um, All of that to be the pivot. You mentioned you're both dads. You're both doing the grind. I'm not a big fan of the Gary V hustle grind thing. Um, to me, that just sounds like you didn't plan properly a lot of the times. Like, you have to do the work, but you need to have time with your kids, you know, because that, that is that next generation. And I think as men growing up the way that we did, we may be a bit more sensitive to that. But we talked a bunch before we hit record about, like, key values, core values, like, with me, with my son, every week we'll do breakfast at the local deli. Like they already know his order. The locals know him. Like they open up the seat for us and let us like sit down and you see people just running in and out, running in and out. Like my wife shared a story this morning from drop off where, I mean, I, you guys obviously know like where I live in Fairfield County. Um, there was a lady dropping her kid off who was just having a tantrum because he wanted to share time and space with his mom and like didn't want to be just left in this camp the way he saw it. Mm-hmm. And she told me that that mother told her child, I don't have time for this. I have to catch a train. I don't know about you guys, but whether it's my registered financial advisor work or the consulting side of the house, me personally, I'll be damned if I'm not going to prioritize that time with my son or my daughter. Like when I pick them up, like every oh, it's you know, and they do it with my wife too. Like, oh, that's Ryan's mom, Ryan's dad. And like we do high fives, low fives, toss them in the air, like all of these things. But I guess the core reason I wanted you guys on is because I see you as very good, obviously, business people but i see you as better parents and i wanted to talk a little bit about why it matters to you which i think we've talked about a little bit but what are the things that you're doing to raise excellent children i don't know you want to go first evan or you want me to go i'll go first because eric's probably going to one-up me he's got five so <laughs> well, i mean that's a whole other issue to talk about it's How do not you about like, well, that's you know yeah i know you're joking but no, it's well, well, well because the more children you have the more structured and disciplined you have to be otherwise you'll have a household out of control right so 
I have two little boys and you know, your reason why is, is crystal clear and focused when you have like a, an upbringing, like the three of us have had. So first of all, you don't want them to ever go through any of the things you went through. Now that's not, you're not trying to shield them from life, but you realize all the negative lessons I learned, I'm going to use that for good. And that, and it becomes, and it's also difficult and trying because the way we grew up, we are imprinted on whether we like it or not. We think this is the normal thing. We think that getting yelled at and mentally, physically, verbally abused is like a normal thing. I, I guess everyone goes through that. No, everyone doesn't go through that. You don't really find that out until later that everyone didn't go through what you went through. So you have to kind of heal yourself if you're going to be the person your children really need, because you need to become the person you need for yourself first, like the person you've always needed in your life, figure out what that is and become that. And then you should be able to give that and deliver that to your family. So for me, I'm big on the example I can set for my children. That's why, you know, with me and my, my nutrition and my exercise and getting up early and reading and praying and reading the Bible and all of these things and talking about the Bible with my children, I didn't have any of those things when I grew up. So I made sure you're going to be witness to daddy doing this because it's one for me, to, one thing for me to tell you something that you're not going to do, but you definitely will do whatever daddy is doing. You will mimic me. You will copy me. We all know kids do that. There's everything's follow the leader, monkey see, monkey do, right? They just, they will just act like you act. So when they see daddy in the gym, they come downstairs. The first thing they do, they see daddy exercising and they start doing pushups with me and other things. And I just think it's just the, the best moment in my, my day is like they get to see, they are acquiring these habits so early in life because they see me doing it. And it's not easy. It's not easy to wake up at 3 a.m. every, th every single day for almost four years. It's hard and it takes discipline and I'm sticking with it because it's worked and it's gotten me out of the gutter. And I want my kids to see that. So I don't want, I don't want to imprint bad things on them. Now, sometimes, you know, there are some bad things that come up. Maybe I might be short tempered or this and that. And then I have to catch myself in these moments saying, oh, you are, you have a bad behavior that you learned from your childhood that's coming out right now. You need to catch yourself in that. That's all the mindset work. Eric and I, you'll hear us talk about this individually on our Instagram. It's a lot of like negative self-talk, limiting beliefs, catching yourself, uh, uh, being bad to yourself. And the faster you get, the more trained you get at this to re to audit your thoughts and how you're speaking to yourself internally, the better you can be for everybody else. And you start dominating your thoughts and your actions. Now your emotions don't, don't have a grip on you. So that helps me with my children as well. So the, the, I be, I realized the longer I've had kids, the more and more relaxed I get with children, pretty much how, most people see their grand their their parents when they're grandparents. They're like, "Oh man, I wish you were like this with me when I was a kid." You probably we probably have our parents say something like that. Oh, you you love your grandparents, but they weren't like that with me. It's because they're relaxed now. Like they figured something. They have enough wisdom. It took it took seventy years of acquiring wisdom, whereas we're doing it here like in our early forties, right? So uh, I don't know. I can. I'm going to ramble. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> throw it back to you. You know what's cool, though? You know what's cool? Like when Evan and I get together, whether I go to his house or he comes to my house in Arizona, um, we, like the last time Evan was here and he brought his kids, I'm like, okay, well, I got a ton of workout equipment in my backyard. I've got palm trees, the pool, waterfalls, like all this kind of fun stuff. We're like, all right, we're doing a workout. All the kids come out and all the kids are working out with, with 
but daddy and uncle daddy. <laughs> and and we're having we're having fun. It's just like I can see there's no it's not like you get outside right now and you no. I love my children and my children love me and Evan's children same. So then when we when we work out, they want to work out. And and the fact that they want to work out with me, it's like, yeah, come with me. We'll, we can do squats and push-ups and you know, I got like the different racks and the kids will do their version of working out. But it's like none of it's forced, it's it's natural. They just want to be there. And I, I want my kids around because I want them modeling better behavior. Our culture is so screwed up. We, we stop watching sports. The only sport we watch is baseball. And we, we watch, we've got the MLB package and we stream it from our computer to our Apple TV because if you stream it, you don't have to watch commercials, right? Otherwise, if you, if you play it through the app, you got to watch commercials, right? So the, we figured out how you don't have to watch commercials. But like football, basketball, you, you can't watch commercials. You can't see what's on the court, like what people are doing. Like you, the, the culture is so bad, even around sports, but just anything, pop culture in general, I don't want that to be the model. I don't want that to be the ideal. So like Evan was saying, like we wanted, we wanted to create the men that we needed when we were children and then give that man to the world, starting with our family. And, and the thing is, at some point, um, kids will get older. And they start looking around, they start comparing. And they're going to compare their father and where he is in the world versus all the other men. And if you are not a successful man and your child is looking for what a model for success is and it's not you, they start to look outside the home. So it better be me, right? And the only way I, I'm going to be really successful is if I take really great care of other people first. It's not about me. It's about other people. If I take care of, if I, if I, if I have a service first mentality and take care of other people first, that the money comes. And this goes in any business, any industry, anywhere, period. You have to have a service mindset because the rest of the world, people are running around saying, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? If my thing is, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to nail myself to the cross here and give myself to you world and my family. Right. And then they're like, Oh, great. I'll listen to that guy, but you have to be a model. You have to be the ideal. That's why the Christ is the, the ultimate model, the ultimate ideal and figure, right? And okay, you could be Christ-like, sure. But the but for, for now, it's like in the household, I need to be a great man, a great father, a great husband, a great businessman, a good man in the community, a man that helps, a man of service, right? A man of service is a useful man. No one in the world wants a man that is useless, that is the, the worst. That is the most discardable person in society is the useless man, right? And that's so, where we see a lot of our yeah. issues in society right now is people right. don't have. And just to be clear of all of it, like, and that doesn't even have to be along like the Christian Catholic faith. Like whatever that belief system you, you pick is. We're all going to believe it, something. Yeah. We're all gonna, I mean, you're going to idolize something. So, so choose, but, but part of it's like the, like, how do we guide our children? Well, we, we've got to, we've got to try to embody excellence as best as we can. And it starts with like your, our own mindset, our own personal development, our own work ethic and showing the kids, you know, I drive my kids to school every morning. I'm like, I'm like, it's either a Porsche or a Tesla. This is their experience. We, we will listen to Tony Robbins stuff and then we'll talk about it or I'll ask like, what's going on with friends and what did someone say at lunch? And, you know, did someone do something funny in class today? And you start to learn about what's actually happening in their daily lives and it fosters more conversation. 
And then you could say, well, here's how to think about that. And here's this kid's having problems because these couple of things might be happening. And maybe I know something about that family. But the kids only see just it's very one dimensional, very much with blinders on. I'm trying to reveal the world to them through the guidance of their father. And the thing that even that Evan and I have, because we've done so much personal development work on, on ourselves, um, it's like we, we look to like the movie Braveheart. And when William Wallace's father dies, he has the uncle that shows up, right? And the thing is, the, he's the great uncle that teaches, he's like, he's like, how was, the, was it a good benediction? How was, how was the, the burial mass? He goes, I don't know, I don't speak Latin. And he's like, well, we better remedy that. It's like, we're going to, so this guy spoke like five different languages. He knew how to handle a sword. He'd been at war. He had lost one of his eyes and was all white and he had scars on his face. And he turned William Wallace into the man that he becomes, right? It's like, if something happens to me, I've got a great man that'll back me up. And same thing for, for, for Evan. I could be a great man that backs him up. And then we become this more, this better unit, you know, because even when Evan and I will like sometimes coach some people together, but it's like you get the two heads, not just one, you get two. And now you're getting multiple angles. And here's Evans, an excellent study on character, right? Because he because he writes for the movies. He directs in the movies. He's got to be have a deep knowledge of the human character, the hero's journey, and what, what a true character is, you know, good or bad. Um, and even for me, dealing with money and finance, and especially like the Friends of Abe stuff I did, it was such high volume interacting with human beings that you have to start to size up all the different characters and personality types and egos that are coming at you and figure out how do I help this person or how do I stay away from this person? Right. Did It's interesting. You mentioned that like a lot of people with me, they're like, you're a very quick judge of character. Like, well, I've, you know, it, it's repetition. Like my first, business while i was 26 and over a three-year period with a deployment in between like i recruited and trained over 500 people like you know similar to the movies i mean there's like what six main stories it's just variations on the theme a lot of times for how they're told you know who the hero the anti-hero are on those things mm -hmm. but yeah with repetition you start to understand it and what i like about what the two of you do is you i think you understand the analogy of the ladder you really only need one hand to pull yourself up the character is are you pulling the other people up too and you two seem like that obviously for me um you know, we haven't had a thanksgiving together or anything because travel that's right um, all the kids <laughs> seriously and by the way eric i feel bad for you because both evan and i can fit our kids into like my trans am to bring him to school so you know i know a tesla's cool and all but <clears> t-tops <throat> to off baby t-tops off i so, i know it's well i'm, I'm trying i'm trying to level up i'm hoping i'm hoping we can get some twins in the mix so we can try to catch eric's numbers <laughs> yeah they, they are rookie numbers I, i'll grant you that you're just at replacement at this point i can take so. more we i can take more pain <laughs> bring it <laughs> I know how to suffer well. I already know that my wife's going to say, you know, I'm the one that delivered those kids. So I'm going to be careful with what I say because I know she'll watch. <laughs> They're the true saints in this process when it comes to oh that. My goodness. <laughs> my wife, my, like my wife, she's like, she's, she's a saint with what she has to put up with, with all the kids. It's, it's tough. I mean, 
it's it's not easy but um but it's but again like it's not just are we how are we great dads it's it's also the other side of it. it's like well we can be great dads when there's a great woman in the mix like i absolutely, yep, absolutely. Be great because my wife is she's awesome like she's she's disciplined she's focused she keeps them on on task you know she she's religious and she's a deep deep true believer like she she's done all the mindset work i mean um you know my my brother-in-law her brother um od'd and they had been they she had he had been in aa in and out rehab multiple times and she went to al-anon it's alcoholics anonymous for for family members and she had to do a tremendous amount of personal work she used to be in acting classes too so Evan did a Larry Moss exclusive um, preparing for his film, um, but my wife did all kinds of acting showcases and, and workshops too. But again, it's revealing character, not just the character you're playing, but who you are to the core and how do you deal with your trauma and how can you use that? Like how can you leverage what happened to you to get that train out of the station to be great, right? So part of is part of the, the creative side that we forget that Hollywood even brought us was how to even tap into the deepest part of ourselves. Now it's all propaganda in Hollywood for the most part. So you, you lose that, you lose truth. And that's what Evan's doing in his, his film is bringing truth back. That's what I'm doing in my lifestyle and career and Evan's lifestyle and career. It's like, we want to bring truth back to the forefront for people so they can feel like they're really living again. Cause they always feel like there's a shroud over everything. What is this? What is this? It's because you guys are not tapping into the fullness of truth. That leads me to what I think would be our last question. We're getting right up to an hour here, and then I'll give you guys a chance to let everyone know where to find you. Because believe it or not, promotion is like the least capable thing I do. When I talk to my son, because like where I live is, it's only like 10 miles away, but it's like years away from where I grew up. Um, we have an abundance, like my kids get to berry pick and apple pick in the backyard. We harvest food. We do like these things and like having our own space in the backyard. So I personally do a lot of work with my son because I don't want him to see this is he's entitled to these things. They are blessings that we receive because of the good. And I explain this to him often, like, Ryan, we have these things because I'm able to help other people be successful every day. And because of that, we're able to have these blessings in our family. And I always start with the people because things are replaceable. But what are some of the things that you do to help your kids understand the blessings and abundance that they may have? Well, um, a couple of things in my life, it all comes through uh, acts of service and charity. Um, so one of the things I'll do, so at one point, Evan and I were, were homeless for a couple of weeks back in college. You know, we got kicked out of the house. The divorce was happening. And all I had was a black trash bag of my clothes and some personal effects. And that was it. And we were living out of, out of a car and then finally got into the dorms. Um, but I'll tell, I'll tell the children, every time I see like a homeless person, like carrying like a black trash bag, I go, that was, that was daddy at one point. Like that, that was me. That's all I had, a black trash bag, my stuff. Um, so I'd make sure that they realize that could, that could be someone that embodies your father. The other thing is um, on the military side, when I do different 
um, military events. I make sure my, my children meet service members and they understand the sacrifice and what goes into that, especially when I'm working with the wounded. Um, and then third, uh, acts of service through the church. Um, so because of just the, the what happened with my, my mother's yes to life with us, um, we work with different women's uh, crisis pregnancy centers and um, we work with the Sisters of Life here in, in Phoenix. And we'll basically take a, a struggling mother under our wing and help her get on, on her feet, give her some, some resources, help her with job stuff, help her with legal, um, help her get transportation, whatever it is. And understand like, you know, and go and pray outside of clinics. Like we'll, we'll do that kind of stuff too. But to show her, like lead, always lead by example. It's the only way to lead. You have to lead by example. But understand it's like, yeah, you can do work and you can make money and have an impact that way and service that way. But then it's really on the charitable side of, you know, we're going to give to people that in a way that they could never repay us. And we take the approach that we don't ever want to be repaid. This is our thank you to God. It's just our thank you. And then they see that. And this is how you transcend and you go further ahead and further above. You know, because, you know, when I help people, one of the hardest things when people are approaching retirement, especially when we're doing the budget planning is, man, I used to tithe 10 percent, but now I'm just living off of this portfolio and the money coming in. Can I still tithe? I want to still make sure I can still tithe. I'm like, we build it into the budget. We build it into the plan. We make sure that you can still do it because why take that away? Because we know the government gives us a, 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 a they give us a discount for our dollars that they, that we give, they don't give us a break for our time, right? So the government doesn't care about our time. They care about money. That's it. So we can find a way to part, you know, participate in that. But the thing is, if you can give your, your treasure and talents, that's really the goal. And we lead by example doing that. Sweet. So Evan, that leaves you, my good man. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, it's fine. You know, it, no no right. pressure after that, huh? <laughs> well, it, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about like living a life of example, like really back up your words with action or just action. If you can only choose one of the two. So uh, it's, it's just being that person for your kids. And also, you know, one thing I do with my boys, I always, we always, we audit, we audit the day when we put them to bed We talk about what happened that whole day. Let's look back. It's, you know, some people call it examination of conscience, but we'll do say, Hey, what are you thankful for today? What were some of the best things that happened today? Hey, what happened with this one thing earlier where you, where you were talking back to mom or something, you know, try to like talk about it. And then you see that they feel regret and then they start to tell you how they were actually feeling and couldn't express it in the moment. And there's just these little relationship building things and building trust and saying, you can tell us these things. You're not going to get in trouble because you want to have an open, honest relationship with your kids. Um, but to get them to be thoughtful and thinking and, and having that routine and that structure. And these are all the ways to like really have a tree with super deep roots that won't get blown over in a storm. And that's what we're trying to create with our children and giving all these habits, everything Eric's talking about. I, I do, I don't do as much as him. So Eric's one of my people I'm watching. So I can model after him a little bit. Um, no, but you know, I, I give back where I can. There's a there's a, a, a Hearts of Joy um, uh, Down Syndrome Open Heart Surgery Foundation that me and my wife give to because she has a special place in her heart, and, and so did Eric and I, uh, because we had a, a sister that we lost uh, around two years old. 
um, to uh, down, down syndrome uh, heart heart problem. And I made a movie that was essentially about that. That's what Telios Act was really about at its core. If everyone wants to say, okay, what was really going on in your mind that made you want to tell that story? I was like, that was what was really fueling it. It was it was a way to honor the the sister I never met, um, so or or didn't, didn't remember because I was so little. Anyway, uh, yeah, just little ways to give back, be an example to your kids. Really thinking about how you can embody that and be that for them, and not come out of character. That's probably the hardest thing, especially as men. It, it, you want to stay in control and not come out of character. You always want to be the best version of yourself for everybody, and it's hard. It's challenging, especially with you know how the world can, can be um but we gotta be strong for our people and it's uh and it's I, I love going to that i I love entering into that battle every single day i love getting mentally tougher here every single day and just to have this undefeatable mind this unbreakable mindset it's everything to be fair i cried with my son two days ago um i've we do a thing um uh, so at the end of the day, I tell him the things I saw that I loved and honored about him, you know, things I was proud of him for. Never like a result, but the activity that went into it. And when we do hugs, we'll hug here because our hearts get to touch. And I always tell him, you know, even when I'm you know, not here from at work or something like that, I'm right there just like you're right here. And he's like, can you hear me? So you can hear me in there. So I have the recording because I use my lav mic um, during mm. both of our deliveries. And he could hear like on the recording, you guys, you have kids like that. Da, 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 da. Like, buddy, I've heard your heartbeat before I ever heard you. And let him listen to the like his first cry and like hear how we just became utter hot messes with everything. And it's yep. like <laughs> just that that love and care. Like, cause my my dad never really showed me emotion. Like it was, you know, not one of those things. So like I try to, you know, open because I need to open myself up more too. So that's part of my personal development. But like, I figure if I can't do it with him, got to, right. like, what are you going to mm -hmm. do? But before I get all emotional and cry thinking about that, because yeah, no, that, that one's still that's fresh. Very, it, yeah. It's still fresh. Where can people find you and, you know, whether it's yeah. something they need from you, they want to follow, because I know both of you are way more active on Instagram, for example, than I am. But how can they find you? I'll let Evan go first. You can find me. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. I love being interactive. You can find me there at Evan B, as in boy, Evan B Matthews on IG. Uh, and it's it's a great time to check out what I'm doing because I, I just I put stuff up all day long, especially while I'm making this movie take people in the meetings or zoom calls or wherever I'm going or location scouting, casting all the things I'm just taking people along for the ride. So if you want to see what it's like to make a debut feature film and just all the ins and outs and all the highs and lows that are going to come along, there's going to be fires to put out. There's always fires to put out in a movie. So let's see how tough your boy is. So that's where you can come find me. Yeah. And then uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram. So the only place I hang out, I don't really hang out anywhere else, but it's Instagram at eric m33 e-r-i-c m33 so I, I don't know if people are watching this but they could see it here um but eric m33 yeah so I'm, I'm there every single day i love to interact with people people send me a dm i respond to them a lot of people ask for help or have questions 
I'm, I'm usually quick to respond. Um, and I try to make daily content either about finance, macroeconomics, the Federal Reserve, you name it, tons of mindset stuff. So it's just a really fun, interactive place to be. I like to be social on social media. So if people reach out, please say hi if you enjoyed the episode. I'm going to be the different one on LinkedIn, Facebook. It's Mike Demo. Um, you can find me, growwithdelta.com. Guys, I've had a blast doing this. I, I really appreciate having you on. I feel like I need to do individual episodes with each of you at some point yeah, to go deeper totally. on this Yeah, stuff. we can do that. Yeah, we can break um, it out even bigger, yeah. So much appreciated, and I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. You got it. We'll see you. Thank you, Mike.